the video nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. Don't go in the woods and driller killer. This is Death by DVD. I am your host, Alexander Nash, and with me as always is my co-host and Buffalo, Hank. Somebody show me that pussy! We're gonna sell this fucking buffalo, we're gonna get so much stuff, we're gonna sell this buffalo, we're gonna get so much fucking dough, we're gonna get a pair of fucking snakeskin boots. Like, I don't know if anybody even picks up your reference, like... No. When it's we talk about so much later that you're referencing some movie we're going to talk about. Yeah, that's the glory of it. You might get the reference. I'd like to think that we have a classy audience that immediately would go, oh my God, that's Tony Coca-Cola and the Roosters from Driller Killer because I'm a fucking genius. But maybe if you didn't get the reference, um, I just sounded crude and over the top, and that's fine. That's I'm used to that too. But this is Death by DVD. I'm Hank. And uh, I really wish somebody would show me their pussy, though, for real. Somebody in this room right now, show me your pussy. We're talking about video nasties. <laughs> yes, we are talking about video nasties. Our continuing series of alphabetically going through all the video nasties. Go to the first episode so I don't have to explain this shit again about why we're talking about them and what they are. Tonight, we're in the D's. We're still in the D's, but we're almost out of the D's. And next on the list is a is a movie from 1981 called Don't Go in the Woods or depending if you're an idiot or not, Don't Go in the Woods Alone. <laughs> <laughs> well, because so many people like it. It's actually listed as um, Don't Go in the Woods Alone. Don't Go in the Woods dot dot but, dot alone. Yeah, you got to remember the dot, dot dot. Don't Go in the Woods dot 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 dot. And then the sub like the, the tagline, the subtitle was just alone. As kind of like, oh, that's, you know, it's just, here's a little zinger. But a lot of people have interpreted over the years as that's the full title, which it is not. It's just Don't Go in the Woods. This is a pretty typical camp slasher that no way is typical whatsoever. Um, it was an attempt at making a camp slasher after um, Friday the 13th. Came. Well, actually, I think it was pre-Friday the 13th, wasn't it? It didn't come out till 1981. Yeah, I think it was just around the exact same time, and I think a lot of the influence came from that. I mean, something James Bryan, the director, even says when they were coming up with the soundtrack is he had the, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it is one hell of a name, that he just wanted him to listen to like the Halloween score and come up with something like that. And I've got to say, Don't Go in the Woods is the most bastardized John Carpenter soundtrack you will ever hear. But it's also it's not even amazing. Really close, though, actually. It's, it's one of the worst Casio soundtracks from the 80s. It's a complete abstract concept based on John Carpenter, but it, it's so bad it ends up becoming one of those things that when you talk about the movie, most people will bring up, oh, you know that one weird crazy synth sound that just sounds like somebody bouncing a fucking ball over and over again? That one. And that always sticks out in people's mind. It's so annoying, I think, that it adds to... <laughs> how awesome this movie is because this is watchable it's one of my favorite things when we were talking about this a couple weeks ago planning what we were going to do you had said at least the movies are watchable bless it because really don't go in the woods is watchable there's a lot of crap like devil hunter is not particularly watchable no. don't go in the woods is actually it's terrible it's a poorly made film but it's incredibly watchable it was shot on short ends, I'm pretty sure. If you don't know what short ends are, it's the leftover pieces of film other people didn't use. But usually you never really got how much time was on your reel of short ends. So H. Kingsley Thurber. I'm sorry. It, that name was great enough to interrupt you. H. Kingsley Thurber did the soundtrack. Tell me that wasn't a great name. Short ends, on the other hand, though. <laughs> yes, but short ends, is, again, it's just kind of leftover film. But you never really knew how much there was, so... Most of the scenes in this movie are really quick. They're usually about no more than 10 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. So it's heavily edited. It's just kind of chop, 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 chop. And the story itself is all fucking over the place. But that's, again, kind of what makes it watchable. Because it's just about a typical group of, are they supposed to be teens or are they supposed to be in their mid-30s? I have no idea. I don't think there's an age cap for this one. I just think they're campers. They're they're very ill-equipped campers that decide to go out for a happy, fun weekend. And uh, nobody's 
per se a professional actor by any means. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this film is professional anything. Well, you've got the director, James Bryan, who actually had moved out to Utah to work on the Grizzly Adams TV show, where this was filmed pretty much on the same location they did the Grizzly Adams show, and that's that's what he did. He did sound effects and recorded a lot of the, the crazy falls and bear effects and all the weird stuff that you would hear in the background of the show, and... Uh, he wanted to shoot a feature, and this is what ended up coming from the great Grizzly Adams School of Film. <laughs> this is this is what you learn in Utah, I guess. But I, you know, it sounds condescending, and I guess I kind of meant it that way because I'm a dick. But it's fucking hysterical in its own right. I think everyone, especially James Bryan, can recognize that it's kind of hysterical, even to the extent that the killer. Well, you don't know that. I'm going too far. Uh, people are being killed, but it's only people with the most reprehensible fashion taste. And you've always got that stereotype and that trope in slasher movies that if you do drugs or you have sex, you're going to get killed. But in Don't Go in the Woods, if you dress just grotesquely, that's where you die. If you just decide to wear a weird pink flamingo shirt and go out f taking photographs, you're going to die. And wheelchair guys, they definitely have to die. Well, that's the magic of the movie because the core story is about these campers and they encounter some sort of mountain man. And um, the mountain man is stalking and killing them. And what's funny is the subtitle is Don't Go in the Woods Alone. Nobody's alone in this movie because these woods are so heavily populated. There's so many people in the woods. Like, there are hundreds. It should have definitely been Don't Go in the Cabin Alone. And it's even in the first ten minutes that one of the lead characters tells the whole story about how you should never go in the woods alone. But there's like eight of them. And in the original group, okay, there's not eight. There's two girls, two guys, four. I can't count so well. It's all right. Four people, but just as you pointed out, progressively, it's the most densely packed fucking forest. You've got photographers and their 90-year-old mothers, somebody in a wheelchair trying to heft it, some chick that decides to paint while leaving her baby in a swing who also decided to wear high heel boots into the woods. You know she dies because of that fashion faux pas. It's bizarre, and it's just own right of, why are all these people in the woods? What are they doing? Why? Well, they're they're padding the runtime is what they're doing because that's what it really feels like is we had shot this amount of footage with the campers. We didn't know what else to do, so we just started coming up with random people who were out in the woods and they just randomly come across the killer and get killed. So the body count is incredibly high in this film. Lots of people die. Oddly, it's completely reversed, though, that they went out and filmed all this random footage of people dying and uh, weirdly tricked a bunch of people to coming out in the woods. We're filming a movie. Come out into the woods. They get the roller skate girl. All the scenes with the sheriff had been filmed at first, and then all the murder scenes, and they shot over weekends and a couple-day periods with the the regular crew, the four uh, two girls, two guys, the the other half of the movie that involves the possible... I mean, I guess it's death by DVD. We don't have to say spoilers anymore. The killer. You get to see all those really... I mean, I think those are the money shots for the movie. For one, the deaths, which the blood is like... Uh, like red food coloring and non-chunky barbecue sauce. Everyone apparently complained that it tastes horrible. It was way too vinegary. So Utah barbecue sauce must truly suck. And the fact that it's just fucking cut in scenes that make no sense and then once you finally learn they just randomly they went out over weekends and shot all these murder sequences then combined it with people lost in the woods then it kind of makes sense like oh well yeah it's still awful but it's it's kind of fun and like the killer himself is uh, he's a guy in animal pelts he's got some sort of murder stick that he shakes with bells the jingle stick <laughs> Shake the murder stick. He's just a dude who got, like, as a baby, got lost in the woods. So now he's a fucking cannibalistic killer of some kind or whatever. So it's really super, super thin on plot. But that's one of its kind of amazing strengths is because we don't get lost in a bunch of ridiculous hoopla. We just really kind of get to the core of what things are, which is just a killer killing people in the woods and trying to get as like um, inventful as possible with uh, how we handle the murders. And it never really drags that much because of how much is actually going on in the film. The campers themselves are particularly annoying. Their performances are all pretty bad. It does have some incredibly funny shit going on to it too. Like the wheelchair guy, that's like, that's completely play played for comedy. How this guy's trying to make it up the mountain in his wheelchair and it just kind of takes forever and takes forever and, once he finally gets there, he gets decapitated. And it is, I mean, it sounds so morbid as we're talking about it, like we're two psychopaths. Like, yeah, it's kind of funny. 
the the tension and the way it's set up is it's just a struggle. I mean, it's like a good 15 minutes of this guy losing his balance and going down the hill, and he finally gets to the top and, and eventually gets decapitated. And there's no real relief with the rest of the cast because, I mean, you've got, like, Nick Cleland, I think his name was, was Peter, and then James Hayden was Craig. The girls are, the I think, the most fun. That Out of the screaming, out of the typical horror reaction... The one chick that gets stuck up, uh, I think it was Joanne and the the bag, and finally gets down just to get completely slaughtered. And then you've got Mary Gail Arts, uh, who played Ingrid, who I also believe, a little Paxton fact here, she did the casting for Frailty. Her character is your, uh, you know, scream queen. She's going to make it to the end of the movie, which I thought was one of the most appropriate ends of a movie of all time of them just... Uh, brutalizing this fucking this this killer this uh was it tom dreary playing the maniac while they get a thumbs up from everybody else well that's like kind of one of the funny things in it is they get out of the woods um this you know the dude and the girl they get out of the woods and then he just randomly runs from the hospital back into the woods to go get this guy (laughs) cowboy boots and pink shirt gotta go back but they left somebody behind i mean he that was his whole thing and i thought too was a hysterical sequence because you've got this nurse coming to the sheriff and is like they keep mentioning somebody that they think's left behind almost like they left someone behind and it's just a it's kind of plays on that last house on the left style of humor with the really inept sheriff and deputy in this situation i i think it's hysterical i think it makes how serious the movie is supposed to be even funnier because i don't think the intention going into this was well let's make a funny movie it was let's make a slasher movie they're making really good money uh, this film and the next one we're going to discuss come 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 from kind of that the texas chainsaw massacre was filmed on $20,000 and made 30 million let's try and do that it came from that sort of school i feel yeah i mean that's really what the 70s kind of opened up was making cheap jack horror films and getting a return on your investment pretty easily uh, even like down to if it didn't become a huge hit you could um put it out as a b picture on the drive-in circuit and still make a good quantity of money Fred and Olin that Ray, kind of baby. prolificated throughout the 60s and 70s and so everybody was trying it like i don't have to put that much of an investment in and i can get it back so you ended up with some really interesting pieces of art and this is one of them how kind of really slipshod it is but ultimately an incredibly entertaining movie by far my favorite scene in the film is our hero Killing a random innocent person and then apologizing I'm as so he's dying. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Probably the most realistic thing in the movie, though, that you really get some some upset nature out of this guy. My favorite sequence is the VW, the the whole love scene with the just married couple that show up and the guy. I think my best line of dialogue, he comes outside with a 22 caliber pistol and he yells something along the lines of, Come out of there, you pencil dick geek! It just is fucking great. And then they, this is a, a fun fact you can learn from Death by DVD. That sequence ends with the VW going down the hill. But Volkswagen buses were engineered really fantastically and it didn't flip. It went, it flipped once and then straightened itself out and went completely down the hill the right way. Very anticlimactic, very awful shot. So when you watch the movie, you always kind of wonder, well, why did it look so great? And then it rolls down the hill and it just looks like it's been beaten to hell and back by Godzilla. They dragged it completely up the hill and let it go again after its entire internal frame had been damaged. So it wouldn't work anymore. But I guess if anything, don't go in the woods is a testament to the German engineering of Volkswagen. (laughs) This is like as far as when you're searching for horror films and you're searching for new horror films and nuggets of joy, even in bad films, this is one that you can find this something like winter beast, something um, just where it's what makes it so interesting is kind of what people thought would pass as a completed film and really seeing a lot of effort put on the screen. And as cheap as it is, there is effort behind it. There are people trying. I mean, this thing ended up turning a profit and ended up being taken very seriously as a movie. When you sit down and watch it yourself, you're probably not going to take it that serious as a film because you expect, you know, production value and this has none. Um, This movie has like a kiss level fan base, though. There are some really die-hard, don't-go-in-the-woods fans that have brought this from oblivion forward. Vinegar Syndrome now has a wonderful copy of this you can get. In fact, I may be misspeaking by the time this episode comes out, but 
For Black Friday, they put out a copy with a whole new slipcover that you can get with uh, uh, the Hysteria Continues podcast, doing a commentary, a commentary by the director, some of the super fans I mentioned, uh, not by name because I don't remember them and I don't do any research for this show because I'm a big dumbass. It's kind of fun, and it's one of those things that you don't realize was a little bit more important. You watch it and you kind of pass it off as, uh... It's kind of a dumb movie, but this seemed to really impact people when it comes to, like, the art of American slashers. And I don't think it's lost on either of us. I just, I see it much more as a, a it's like a Weekend at Bernie's style movie for me. It's just like a, a, a dumb buddy comedy where the buddies all happen to get massacred and it's very, very vicious. And, you know, like I mentioned with the blood, it's, it's, it's red coloring and barbecue sauce but it is vicious it does coagulate the movie what in the first five minutes you've got somebody's arm being just completely slashed off their body it's an it's a blood feast i mean it's a video nasty for a reason and obviously as we've discussed on previous shows the bbfc and people like peter kruger and mary whitehouse just thought the British public were so stupid that they would see something like this, they would go off and commit their own atrocities. The next movie's even more funnier when it comes to that subject matter because of what the movie's actually about. Well, see, I don't get it so much with Don't Go in the Woods because all the violence, it, I mean, it's graphic at times, but it's never particularly too graphic, and the like. The sheer nature of the film is, it's very good nature. It's not mean-spirited at all. It's actually incredibly fun, I think, but, but again, that's me. I'm fucking typical horror nerd but there's definitely value to that because you you can look at really vicious horror movies like let's look at a uh, maniac that's a really mean-spirited movie that's a really greasy silent movie. night deadly night yeah again really really mean-spirited this is i mean it's about somebody killing people viciously but you don't have any rhyme or reason to it none of that matters it's just sort of the goofy nature like i i have been talking about this dumb kind of buddy comedy feeling this is an everybody slasher. This is, you know, pass the bowl around the room and hang out on a Friday night slasher. This isn't something that has a overtly seedy, sexual, deep, nasty nature to it. It doesn't really play from, like, even the, the psycho school of slashers, which, again, is inherently sexual. Kind of funny, because the next movie, too, doesn't really play off the sexual nature of slashers at all, but definitely, I think, has an aspect and an appeal to uh, a, a villain like Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Which this does, too, just to a much more comedic extent. It's just some bearded dude who can't get beads out of his face. And it's really That's pissed the most him annoying off. thing to me. It's just like, oh, God, just get the beads. Move the fucking beads. How can you see anything with those things right in front of your eyes? Like, it's just so kind of generic and cheap, and the script is not much at all. I don't know how anybody really took this one too seriously, because it's really fun, and it's not, like, as we were saying, it's not mean-spirited at all. It's not, there's not like, a overt scenes of rape. There's not really imitatable violence in it. It's just kind of a guy killing people in the woods, and I don't, like... You have him down to the wheelchair guy. Once that scene happens, you're going to go, I don't know, we've got to ban this one. Come on! That's like some Buster Keaton nonsense, and you're like, oh, that that's too rough. And this is, I guess, a, a historic nasty, because this is one of the beginning on, on the BBFC's list. This is one of the things where they were like, nope, we cannot let people in our country see this. There's no way that the poor people of Suffolk will not start killing each other when they go walking around in the woods. This is over the line. And where, why? <laughs> I mean, I'm I mean, not think about saying some of the Italian shit on these lists and how like graphic they get and uh, how kind of sexual they get and how, or how kind of weird some of the other ones get. And this one is just I would not like I would not have a problem showing an eight year old don't go in the woods. I just wouldn't. If I ran a primetime network, uh, not even a primetime network, if I was Max Wren from Videodrome, <laughs> I wouldn't show this movie at Tuesday at noon. No, but shit saturday at noon it's a completely different story I, it doesn't even really need to be censored to me i mean for tv maybe the only thing you might need to cut down is some language and uh, let's go back to what you just said with i wouldn't mind showing an eight-year-old this the violence doesn't even really bother me that much i don't think there's any nudity in this film either it would be the language and it's only because once a small child or a child under 10 learns to curse they become insufferable and they don't stop doing it ever and it's just like, look what I can do. I can say this word. And it's awful. Show them some blood and gore. Maybe they'll have nightmares and just stay in their own room. I don't know. I'm not a parent. Um, but I will be writing a book about it. Hank's Guide to Parenting. You can check it out in 2021. It's going to be great. Closet with a lock on it. 
it's one page. Actually, that's a 27-page chapter with photographs. We got Casey Anthony to help out. Uh, I might cut that. probably I want to cut that one a little bit but as far as like video nasties and the list goes this is a bright spot because you can't take it too seriously it's not going to take you into any like super dark places or anything it's just a good natured slasher film because I can't like rightfully look at this and go geez I don't know that one that that was pretty effective I mean not really it's just bullshit fun and that's why i really love don't go in the woods well you know Um, as an american you hear the video nasties you hear about the list you know that they were banned but we don't really have the experience of of somebody that was living in the uk at that time period and i think one of the insulting things is the nature of of these movies being banned and it literally was because of the reasoning of we don't want the lesser educated people of England to see these films and to reenact this violence. And it's just fucking, you watch Don't Go in the Woods and then you realize your own government thought that little of you. That's just insulting. And I mean, Americans are learning things like this as Donald Trump's uh, reign slowly becomes to an end. We've realized the extremities of censorship. But in the 80s and 90s and, and when I first started watching these movies in the early 2000s, they were hard to come by, but nowhere by the means that some people that were living in the UK could. I mean, some of these are still banned. Some of these you still can't even get a hold of, which is ridiculous. But just the fact that Don't Go in the Woods, the authorities, people from Scotland Yard, sat down, viewed and watched this movie uncensored, and went, you know what? The country folk are just, they're going to they're gonna pushing do this. it too far with this one. They're really? definitely going to do this. I feel you need to be horribly insulted by your own people you really need to dislike margaret thatcher at this point because they all thought you were fucking idiots all right so this is the point in the show where we uh get some more information uh we're gonna read from the book art of the nasty by nigel wingrove and mark morris and the entry on don't go in the woods dot 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 alone Never released theatrically in the UK, this is another extremely low-budget yarn which features a scene showing a man in a wheelchair being decapitated whilst admiring the sunset. Film 2000 reissued the film on DVD in February of 2007, fully uncut and with impressive array of extra extra source from the earlier American DVD release. And uh, going through, looking for um, PAL VHS in this and how much the, uh, the current price of it is on uh, ebay and other sites uh the one you're looking for is the vro video network pal version and i saw one that sold maybe two years ago for 90 pounds so a fairly reasonably priced one it's not completely over the top like a lot of the other ones can be but overall if you're starting a collection they are out there they are available i would buy this one for my video nasties collection because um again it's it's kind of a pretty big get. The box art in itself is pretty iconic of the person with the sunglasses. Um, I mean, not every video nasty has showability. I know that's not a word, but you can sit down even if you had the VHS and present it to people. I mean, this is something that even non-horror friends, I think, could get a laugh out of. I mean, the art in itself is... It's got a, a bunch of different versions of the same basic piece of this person in sunglasses with a like sometimes it's a sign, sometimes it's a bloody sign in front of them, sometimes it's got a knife in it. But in itself, I always saw this in the video store and thought this one was probably gonna be something special until I actually saw it and just laughed my fucking ass off. Uh, but overall, big bright spot on the video nasties list. I think that's the thing that dragged in a lot of people is the don't go in the woods and then blood splash alone. And uh, you finally get to see that scene in the movie and it's just the horribly inept mother who decides to paint while leaving her child alone. And that was supposed to lead to the don't go in the woods alone again sequel that the little girl that was shown at the very end of the film still in her jumper that the police and everyone had missed. She was going to grow up and be the next crazed child killer. Which maybe we dodged a bullet by it not happening, but there's still time. I don't know what James Bryan's doing. You, though. The age of that kid, which is probably two to three, no way in fuck that child is going to survive in the woods. That kid's dead. There is no way they're going to grow up and raise themselves and like find food and forage 
kid's dead. Sorry. Well, maybe it, uh, it, it, all of James Bryan's career comes together and Grizzly Adams finds her and they all come up together murdering and killing people. This is why there's not a Don't Go in the Woods sequel. Just go with Don't Go in the Woods. Dot, dot, dot. Alone. I think it really is one of the high points of the video nasties. I mean, we're like, really heaping the praise on for this film. Don't get us wrong. It's a piece of shit. It's a terrible fucking movie, but it's a fun movie. It's not one of those that like, wow, I can't believe I finally got to. I, I'm going to see something in this one. You're not. It's You've a drive-in seen... classic. I mean, that's really yeah. what it is. It's just a goofball drive-in classic, but it's nothing you haven't seen before. Other than possibly a um, a grown woman licking something that looks like refried beans off an old paper plate. I oh, see. That's I thought it was startling. like potted meat. I figured it was just like they scraped, you know, that deviled ham sort of stuff. Disgusting, whatever, <laughs> regardless. Don't go in the woods, 1981. I didn't want to rush through Don't Go in the Woods because it is a quality. Well, see, I'm, I'm, I got to stop myself. I was going to say it's a quality movie. It depends on what your idea of quality is. I own a copy it's of this. It's a fun movie. I mean, I, I, I paid good American dollars for this. I own a nice copy from Vinegar Syndrome. I enjoy it, and I really, I mean, it's on uh, apps like Tubi. I think there are full versions that are really rusty that you can find on YouTube. You need to see it. The next movie, the same way. For years and years and years and years, you could only get this on those awful public domain box sets. Any way that you could see this movie was in the very worst quality. Now there's fucking beautiful, pristine versions of it. You can get the pre-release version, which has five minutes of extra footage in it. That doesn't really matter. But still, it looks so good. I got such a boner for this. I'm sorry. I'm just... Did you play it loud? Ah, that's the only way to do it. And it's the only way to fucking play this part of the episode loud and as loudly as possible. This episode should be played loud. So the next film is Abel Ferrara's Driller Killer, which made a huge stink in the video nasty scene, mostly because of the uh, box art, which had a power drill drilling into somebody's head. It's a scene from the movie that they just kind of slapped on the box, both mostly to, you know, drum up business of look at the the violence that's getting ready to happen. on. Well, this, you got to uh, give it, though. It's a great shot. I mean, it's a great, it's shot a great scene. image. It but it's good. not indicative of the film itself because the film itself is pretty lacking on violence. I mean, it has a, you know some of it, but you're like an hour into the movie till there's finally a driller killing, and then it's that killing as well. They don't really like you don't see a lot of drilling killing. I mean, this, in movie, this movie is mostly about economics and why economics sucks and why it, it God. I mean, this is this is I guess one of the reasons why I've wanted to do this for so long because I think there's so many rants that can come from this. And I'm going to try and stay contained tonight, but I think, like, at its core, Driller Killer stands for nothing, but it also stands for everything. And you can hear Abel Ferrara talk about himself, where people fascinate over, what does this scene mean? What is the depth? At the beginning of the movie, is that supposed to be his father? Is this about all the people being released from hospitals and then just bust off by Giuliani? Yeah, I guess, or it could be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter. The whole point is the expression, and... A couple weeks ago, I was talking about a movie called Spider. It's the point of view of the person that you're you're traveling on this trip with. And in this situation, you are traveling along with a guy named Reno Miller, who is played by Abel Ferrara himself. That's the fucking importance, man. It's that you're going through this trip with him, and you're going insane. There's a lot of reasons behind that, but it is something that I think could be aptly compared to Spider, because the point of view is very necessary. Well, yeah, I mean, because the, the basic plot here is a artist in New York has to deal with a lot of bullshit in his life until he finally goes fucking crazy and starts killing people. And that's a we general... We don't even know the extent of bullshit. I mean, he, he he's going through life. He's going through things that other people easily could manage with, but the movie begins so non-sequitur. The movie begins in such a random place. Like, almost it's in the middle of a scene of... This dude and a, a woman, and they're in a church, and there's this man, and this man had this dude's phone number and his name, and they were called by a nun. And throughout, like, the first 20 minutes of the movies, you get these dream sequences from Abel Ferrara's character that are newspaper clippings and this, uh, this, this weird visage of an older man telling him a story of New York City going to shit, and you start to learn that... You know, thousands and thousands of people in psychiatric wards were just released onto the street, and 
it doesn't seem to essentially play too much into the plot, but I think with how you're introduced to things in that very big opening sequence, what you're being told is that our lead character, his father was a, a, a mental patient that was released onto the streets, and our character comes from the stock of somebody of that caliber. And obviously this is the, the mid-70s or so we could really play with that idea without kind of being abusive of the idea that like crazy people have crazy kids. I'm trying to say it gingerly, but... It's a thought. Well, see, to me, like, it's, like, I have a hard time watching this movie. I really do. Because to get to the point where Reno goes crazy, you have to experience all these things with him. Yeah, you have and to go the, crazy. And, the yeah, and basically it drives you crazy because he lives next door to a punk band that never shuts up, never stops practicing, and all he wants to do is fucking paint. And he, he has two, like women living with him they annoy the shit out of him he's broke as fuck and all he had needs to do is sell this buffalo painting you see this buffalo this buffalo is gonna make all of our dreams come true it's gonna pay for everything in our lives we sell this buffalo everything is gonna change we're gonna have enough money to do what we want when we want to we'll be able to get everything we need first thing i'm gonna get snakeskin boots oh yeah man we're gonna get lots of clothes we can get a boat, buy sell some motorcycles, and we'll go away. Go to Jamaica, Morocco, we'll go to Nepal. Wherever we are, man, we're gonna go out every night. No, too much of a pain. I never knew your father. Yeah, it's a really obnoxious buffalo painting, but he just wants to make it in the world. He has an ex-wife that annoys him. Everything is compounding in on him throughout the first like hour. Well, it's of the not film. his it's, ex-wife. It's Carol's ex-husband. Uh, that's right. That's yeah. right. It's Carol's ex-husband. Because she's You're sending. Right. That's the one that's sending the money and the al- and she has to use the alimony. But all of these things too that are part of the annoyance, I think, are really delicate layers to. The intricacy of the story, and obviously this is a horror film and it's a video nasty, but I think, especially looking at Abel Ferrara and what he did after this and looking at his interests, that this is really like a fucking hoity-toity Jean-Luc Godard, Pasolini sort of thing where he was, I mean, look at the age he was making this. He was just kind of jerking off to these guys and really trying to replicate, especially with the, the dream sequences and the whole idea of, uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of, not necessarily misogyny, but I think there's a lot of like repressed hatred. And an Abel Ferrara women. film? No. <laughs> well, this was no. the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Miss Forty Five, Hank? Come on. Uh, but this one, <laughs> this is a bit more repressed though, because I mean, he he is he obviously is forward. Like he has that whole sequence with Carol, where he's like, "Oh, but you're paying the bills, and you're gonna take care of it. What you want me to do? Lick your shoes?" My Abel fucking Ferrara sounds like. Joey Travolta, not John, well, but it's all like brother. animated, and he mostly like he whisper yells the yeah, entire man. time. Well, you got to do more hippie man. I mean, because it's fucking man, Abel fucking Ferrara man. He says fucking man like it's a fucking Kenneth Anger thing, man. He like a eats fucking pizza, like some sort of creature. It's fucking <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> he eats pizza uh, like old people. Fuck, it's awful. It's <laughs> it's just gross and it's messy. All these things cataclysmically come to like an ending of earth fireball that just kind of comes into your whole point of view because even in the first 20 minutes of the movie, his character Reno is given, I mean, it's a shitty situation, but he's got these two women living with him, which I always thought was a really interesting thing. One of them seems to be his girlfriend and the other one is played by baby day, a Warhol girl, a very early New York before. See, I always like, I always thought it was one of them is his girlfriend and the other one is her girlfriend. Reno's dating Carol, but Carol's dating baby or Pamela is the character's yeah. name. I, I always have had a, and, and it's Abel Ferrara too. I think probably anyone that met her would have had just a massive love affair with baby day. Even visually, she reminds me so much of the characterization of the pink haired girl from class of 1984, almost just, the perfect punk decadence. And this is an era before hardcore had taken over when you had acts like Blondie, when you had acts like the Suicide. Suicide, definitely. The New York Dolls. It was a very different punk scene. And what is represented with Tony Coca-Cola and the Roosters is a a changing of of the guard, a changing of the scene. Abel Ferrara's Reno Miller is almost like 
a hippie on the outskirt of it. I mean, by the way he dresses, he's still wearing bell bottoms. He's all wearing denim. He's got all these big chains on. And his whole thought process is different. I mean, he's almost kind of square. The band rents a, a recording space in the same complex of him, and he can't paint. He can't finish this buffalo. He can't get anything done. But years ago, or not even years ago, Carol says at one point, you used to love your music loud. You used to love staying out all night. His whole concept and his whole individuality has changed. And what is represented, I think, with the band is his own fear of himself, which is even more fascinating because I never can remember the guy's full name. Gentleman named Metro played Tony Coca-Cola and all of the clothes, everything used for Reno was his stuff. All of the paintings in the film were done by Metro, everything. So essentially Abel Ferrara is playing Metro, who is Tony Coca-Cola, and it's just this whole back and forth of not so much Reno wants to be him, but it's what he hates about himself and his culture and his society and and. There's so well, goddamn. See, I, you know, there's, I also think there's a lot of problems with like money and the want of money and the lack of money. Yeah, that was so, my whole rant. Was the whole thing was supposed to end with me saying there's this one really great scene where he loses his control over something so incredibly easy, and then I we got way off on a uh, baby day, <laughs> and now I'm trying to gain back to it. At the beginning of the movie, it's something that I think anyone easily could deal with that they get the phone bill. And it's just, I mean, it's a crazy expensive phone bill. But if you're living with three people, the most reasonable thing to do would be, well, you got to pay for your own phone calls. This sucks. But Reno's way of handling it is completely flipping shit, throwing the phone through the window, and you're instantly uh, allowed to know, well, this guy's a psychotic. And it's a small action, and it's a small thing, but as it progresses throughout the movie, he eventually kills people with a fucking drill. So <laughs> when you're introduced in that manner of his being so upset, no communication, no... No ideology, no pathos. He's just a fucking angry guy. I think that's really a, a catapulting way to start the movie. What do you think causes the anger, Hank? Because I think it might be late-stage capitalism. Yay, it's our favorite subject. It always comes back to late-stage <laughs> capitalism. Uh, here we go on the left, as always. And that's a big portion of this film is money woes and the way money corrupts and the way money destroys your life. Because he's obviously worried about it throughout the entire film. He's worried about these people who live next to him. Everything is driving him fucking nuts. And especially if you're not comfortable in your like your surrounding area, like an apartment you have, you can't move because you don't have any money. You can't pay your fucking phone bill because you don't have any money. You can't get away from this annoying pump man. Don't have any money. If I sell this buffalo, maybe I can change my life and find a little bit of happiness. Guess what? Can't sell the buffalo. Still ain't got no fucking money. So what do you do? You go fucking crazy and you start killing homeless people with a drill. Well, I don't want to be that fucking guy that reads into this too much, but I think it's kind of iconic and revolutionary that it was a buffalo. And what makes it even better is that wasn't the point. But what was, like, the one sacred thing to the Native Americans? And this is, like, this is that dumb fucking Shining documentary. It's all about the Indians. You had this iconic spirit of something that was hunted and completely destroyed by the white man. And what's funny, turning this into the Driller Killer, the painter is the guy that played Tony Coca-Cola. It's somebody that Abel Ferrara obviously had a lot of passion for, and the paintings that were used literally had nothing to do with the movie. They used the buffalo because it was the biggest one. But... That's what makes this so great is that wasn't even intended. When they sat down and wrote this, none of this was intentional. None of this was something that was really put... It's all, I think it's very subconscious of him to uh, like, uh, actually definitely. throw this in there. Well, you got to look at who he was at this time period. We know who Abel Ferrara is now, and we have his entire career, but he was a punk. This was an era when Max's, Max's Kansas City was... was uh, new when CBGB's was new you didn't have what punk is now you didn't have all these different ideas of it some of the bands we mentioned earlier guys like Suicide, Blondie, The Ramones New York was festering with completely different scenes I can't remember the band that Harley Flanagan from the Cro-Mags was playing in but I mean he was like 8 years old opening up for The Clash the world and the whole idea some of the things you can even see in films like SLC Punk Art was changing, and New York itself was becoming such a different place. It was one of the most dangerous places in America. And scumbags like Giuliani were coming into power, and they were just 
using that power to uh, abuse and undermine those that didn't have money. And some of the things, I mean, like you, we've mentioned this before, Rudy, uh, Rudy Giuliani just taking the homeless and shipping them off to other states that these people just disappeared because we're going to make New York clean. Gentrification. We're, we're getting rid of the mafia and the homeless. Don't you worry about it. Pure evil in the city, and you hear these stories of how hard, it, you know, awful it was to live there, evil it was to live there, that there was crime left and right, and that it was saved by conservative right. And it's just these blasphemous lies, and art started blooming in this just chaos. I mean, you had people like Keith Haring, the Basquiat, there were so, uh, Andy Warhol, and everything that came and bloomed from his little cabinet. And of course, I, I can hear the size of people collectively fucking Warhol, fuck that guy. I cherish Andy Warhol, and I think his stance of anti-art is beautiful. Uh, but the well, different specifically story. Specifically with this time period and the art scene, which A4R was somewhat a part of. He was also a part of the porn scene at this point as well. But, I mean, the two intermingled like crazy. Well, it I wasn't mean, intentional, though. I mean, he had done, but a couple short films, or one short film with the BBC crew, and then he did Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy, and that's that was just because you could do something. They were going to film school. Everyone involved with Driller Killer was kind of working together and knew each other. They did but nine kind of my lives. point is, though, that like porn and like regular film were very intertwined at that point. Well, I mean, the Wes actors in porn films it. were also like standard actors in straight films as well. They like it was all mixed together. Anybody who was involved in some sort of art was all in kind of a scene together, and it was the very slum scene of, of the time period well, i mean everything costs money though and it's i mean i guess there's a big misconception that sex work and porn isn't art and a lot of people cringe over that and a lot of people have a problem with it but specifically for abel ferrara's case when they did nine lives of a wet pussy it, it wasn't out of a passion it wasn't because they wanted to make a fuck film they needed monies to get monies they needed money to get the cameras and the the film to make something else and it's not trying to, like, cut down people that professionally made artistry out of sex work because some of the same producers for The Driller Killer were guys, uh, as Abel Ferrara calls, gangsters from Detroit that did Debbie Does Dallas. A lot of these things intermingled, and it's unfortunate because horror usually is seen on the same platform, especially in this era, in the, the late 70s, early 80s, as hardcore pornography. But that also seems to lessen the value of pornography, and I don't think there's a lesser value to that. You know, I'm not trying to dismantle the entire fucking thing, but I think there's a lot more integrity to something like The Driller Killer than being able to say it's pornography or horror. I think there's a lot more to what this movie stands for that might not have even been vocally realized by a lot of young punk rockers on the scene at the time. I think there's a lot that any person that can sit and watch this can value some idea from and it's just that fucking deep that that's art you didn't mean to do it and it turned out that way well i mean we're kind of in a horseshoe period right now anyway because yes the people were doing um art and they were doing porn at the same time and it's kind of like i don't know trying to start some sort of musical career and having an only fans page and sex work is becoming very legitimate again because sex work is work it is i like you can sit here and spout off about morality of it over and over again, but it's pointless. It's all just work. Who gives well, a it, shit? There's even the morality of the idea, but there's this misconception that sex workers are fiendish, awful people that all they want to do is fuck. They're sex workers because they're whores. They're sluts. All they want to do is fuck. It's a job, dude. It's I a mean, job. It, it's, it, you have to think of your, as you just mentioned, morality completely differently because sexuality isn't as sacred to some people, and sexuality doesn't have to do with sex all the time. Well, not all the time. It doesn't have to. It's a complete different concept. It's something as lucid as time. You don't have to fucking obey it. Just because person one does doesn't mean person two does. And that kind of can even drive us back into some of the in-depth, uh, not even just subtle, but in-your-face nature of capitalism representative of Driller Killer that the Carol character, who is seems to be Reno's girlfriend, who is also dating Pamela... She has been in contact with her ex-husband, and, and Reno can't pay the bills. Nothing is coming. Nothing is None of his work, none of his art, none of his messages is being developed. So she is stepping up, and he obviously isn't appreciative. He's very ugly about it, and it's always this statement about him being a man. She finally gets tired of it and leaves, and I think one of the most chaotically beautiful things about Driller Killer is the ending of 
her finding solace and leaving and somehow Reno finds them. And you've got that the, the literally the movie ends with it turning to black. And if you don't listen closely, you don't hear. I think the greatest fucking thing about the movie is her saying, I don't know, come get warm, baby, something like that. And you just slyly hear Abel Ferrara's very distinct New York voice. And that's it. That's the whole show. Does she die? Does she live? We don't know. We're in as much chaos because it's from his point of view. Well, I also find her character pretty interesting because she's almost like cosplaying as um, as a as a punker or as she's slumming it yeah, because she, she always home. can go back to her husband for money. And she does like per- sporadically throughout the film because she needs money to live this bohemian lifestyle that she's into. But towards the end, she's like, I'm kind of done with this. And I'm kind of go back to my straight lifestyle again. That's a lot of that Soho art crowd, though. And so many people uh, found glamorization in the scene. And even, uh, I mean, it was really a capitalizing thing in New York for years and years and years. Because you start with guys like Andy Warhol. And people came from all over. People came from Europe. Teenagers. Children. People wanted to be a part of this glamour. And then the club kids started with James St. James and Michael Alling. And that scene just started to boom. And people... They felt it. They, they they felt it in their souls. They felt the fashion. They felt the funk. They felt the punk. They felt all the movements, and they came from all over, and not everyone made it. Not everyone could make it. And what you have, really, with Driller Killer is a representation of all these different crowds, because with Carol, you have someone that uh, was, was a true bohemian that came out and joined the scene, and Reno really is like a, a fading hippie. He he can't stand the punk. He can't stand the noise. He can't stand the, the chaos. He doesn't understand it. He's the old guard that won't let things change, and it, despite him being hip, at one point he was, there's a fucking Simpsons episode where Abe walks in on Barney and, and Homer hanging out in their room and says, you know what? What we used to be it one day won't be it. <laughs> to be with it but then they changed what it was now what i'm with isn't it and what's it seems weird and scary to me it'll happen to you and has you gotta realize that i mean what was cool and the greatest thing in the world you guys remember grunge what the fuck happened to it it's a whole ideology that fades and changes and then when you have this uncomfortable chaos like Tony Coca-Cola and the Roosters, even some of the lyrical manner of the songs that he's singing. the vibrant sexual nature it's almost the opposition of what reno's into like he's not focused on fucking he's not into sex it's not why he's killing it's not like control obviously there's misogyny present because it's an abel ferrara movie but that's not even the that's it's the weird thing that's not the focal point here it really is uh, economics and capitalism driving a nail deeply into the back of your skull until you're so weakened by it there's nothing you can do but sell out or die and that really is what happens you work your entire life until what you're 65 and retire for social security and you have no creation love or life left into you and you got to take weird pills to get your dick hard yeah <laughs> that pretty much sums up life man for me driller killer is it's a hard sit uh, a good portion of it has to do with that first hour of basically you being driven crazy as well as Reno. But the last like 30 minutes of it are pretty goddamn enthralling and exciting because it just like it really fucking slams well, that's on when the, the gas. drilling and the killing starts. And that's I think one of the funniest things is the movie's called The Driller Killer. It's one of the most infamous video nasties. It's banned everywhere. But there's like what? I mean, there's a lot. I'd say four or five. But there's not really any drilling killing until you get past the point of wanting to watch the movie unless you are into this strange niche fucking concept. And that's almost the beauty. Like, Miss 45 just starts off completely brutally. Everything else Abel did was just, I'm going to punch them in the dick. 
But with Driller Killer, he just chokes you slowly, like David Carradine, until finally the Thai women leave your room with your wallet and you die. Nice metaphor. But yeah, I mean, like towards the end, though, it really kind of amps everything up. Uh, even Abel's performance amps up and well, not even amps up because he's been amped the entire time. But he's really like playing with different levels at a certain point because he does reach some form of like safety in himself. And he like has like once he starts to kill, he actually starts to, to calm down and he's not well, so that's the aggro buffalo and... scene. I mean, that's when he finally he's going to destroy the Buffalo painting and he pulls a switchblade out on it and he almost breaks down and kisses it and starts patting it. And it's like this weird uh, comb. It's like a, it's a weird combat scene because you've got this really forced, anger that's coming from him but he finally even after being told by the art dealer how this is i mean he's killed him at this point and has already been deflated by how awful it is he still won't destroy the painting that's the one thing that seems to be sacred to him and then when you're left with the end of the movie i mean i feel he definitely kills baby and it goes to black you don't really know what happens to carol your mind can do whatever but was his passion so true he he didn't kill her or did he kill her to make things complete, to, to make it sacred. I mean, I don't know. This is one of the, I think, most complex video nasties, and I think it, again, like, don't go in the woods, dot, 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 alone, dot, 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 isn't really deserving of its title. Again, it's something that plays upon the falsities of capitalism. You're too stupid. You're going to kill people with a drill, so we can't let you see this movie. But before you even get to that point, you're exposed to, I think, more dangerous thought processes. I think some of the things that are represented and shown before the exquisite violence, well, God, I say exquisite like it's Fulci. You know, it, it's great for what it is. You've got some really fun, well, that's the word of the night, fun violence. It's not so much exquisite. You basically have the one drilling scene of the homeless man you have a couple other scenes but they're never as graphic as that one scene well you've got the the glass scene where it's at the bus station and he hits the guy from behind and it's in those big double framed glass windows and i think that's real i think all of it's vicious i mean you've got people being drilled and hit with the, in the gut and the head yeah all but sorts the, of like things. again it's not like some full two level of violence it's just kind of like it's almost like even like a gunshot, it doesn't get like gory, gory. But that one scene in the head, or like where he drills the guy in the head, there's the scene where he gets splashed with gallons of blood. There's the, there's that shit. But it's just, it's when you think of like a banned film for violence, you think of something like Fulci or something Italian, something along those lines. And this one just like it's, it's pretty dry overall. But um, I think it's the brutality of the violence and the attitude of the film overall is what makes the violence seem even more graphic than it actually is. I'm talking about strictly visual graphic, not the feeling of graphicness of it. A statement on censorship alone should be taken from the fact that Abel Ferrara's Driller Killer is a video nasty, but Pier Paolo Pasolini's Salo is not. I mean, there's something really fucking weird about that. And lately, I know I've been going on some Pasolini rants, and I kind of want to address that. I've said some very outrageous things that I guess I have to say are claims. I think a lot of them are proven, but I guess they're claims. I regularly address Pasolini as a pedophile. He had a long-term relationship with young boys, you can address that however you want to, and I've never once said his murder was related to it. I think he is an artist that you need to evaluate. I think Pasolini is one of the greatest filmographers, uh, somebody behind a camera capturing motion pictures. That could also be said for a lot of disgusting and horrible other people. That doesn't mean that I have any form of value or respect or adoration for them, and when I make if they may be crash comments, that it comes from any other opinion. And something like Abel Ferrara comes from that school. I think not looking at Salo, but the work of Jean-Luc Godard and Pasolini and the dreamlike nature of them and the, dare I say, punk rock fucking nature of them. Things that definitely inspired people like Jess Franco, who would go on to make films that inspired bands like the Velvet Underground, uh, who would go on to inspire Iggy Pop, blah, 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 blah. 
these things are all a chain reaction and something like the driller killer i think is much more artistic than it's given credit for most of the time you see awful copies of it you see horrible renditions now in the the 2020s there are beautiful 4k blown up just insane prints of this movie where you can really appreciate and see some of the artistry, some of the integrity that was put into this, some of Abel Ferrara's vision that later comes forward so beautifully in, in his work. He's an insane photographer. He is a uh, just a wonderful artist, and some of the art that you are allowed to see in this movie and some of the things I think make it so wonderful that, I mean, he's literally playing a character of the guy that actually is Tony Coca-Cola. When you can look at it, it's it's just insane. And here's a weird fun fact before Alexander Nash gets into the, as he always feels, boring part of the show. I always love it. All those wonderful, beautiful paintings of blonde women in the background in Driller Killer, Mariel Hemingway. The guy that played Tony Coca-Cola, who really Abel Ferrara is playing in the movie, that was his girlfriend at the time. All those beautiful, like, those... How did he die? Or is he still alive? I think he's still alive. I think um, oh, he wow. is a fantasy fiction writer uh, at the time. I just assumed he died of a drug overdose or AIDS. <laughs> Anybody from the 70s who was in the slum scene at that point, he probably died of AIDS or drug overdose. D.A. Metrov, affectionately called Metro by Abel Ferrara. I think almost everyone that was involved in this film is still alive. And something that can be said about Abel Ferrara, he wasn't into drugs. I don't even think he smokes. I mean, he he might have drank. He smoked pot, but that's not a fucking drug. And if you consider it so, come on, get over yourself. But Abel Ferrara didn't shoot heroin. <laughs> that's a t-shirt. All right, from the book, The Art of the Nasties. The Driller Killer, reissued in Britain in February of 1982 with perhaps the most over-the-top video cover ever seen in the nation's video shops. It's a shot of the uh, homeless man getting drilled in the head in a gory-ass close-up. More of a New York art film than a nasty, this was clearly inspired by Roman Polanski's Repulsion. Unfortunately, the UK release was inexplicably missing a whole sequence totaling 6 minutes and 35 seconds. Visual Entertainment pre-cut the film by 54 seconds in 1999, but the full-length version was passed uncut when ILC Prime reissued it on DVD in November of 2002. This version subsequently formed part of Anchor Bay's Box of the Band DVD collection. And um, the uh, the PAL VHS you're looking for is the VIPCO, V-I-P-C-O version. Uh, and you'll be able to tell it because it's the one with the bloody fucking mess on the cover, the one that... In every Video Nasties documentary they'll talk about, this is like one of the mainstays of the Video Nasties genre, I guess you would call it a genre, mostly just because of the bloody nature of this cover. This is the one that the uh, the uh, cops basically would seize immediately because it was just that bold of a cover. And you can find it for about 75 pounds on the internet to purchase, which is, again, relatively a decent price for um, probably one of the most like, ballied over fucking video nasties at the time. I would say it's a piece of history. Oh, yeah, this is the, I mean, this one really started the video nasties scare. This, um... I wouldn't even mind owning this, and I don't have a VHS or a video, I mean, I have a video nasties collection, I think I've mentioned it. Originally, when we began doing this, I was comparing what good DVDs or Blu-rays, DVDs, what year do we fucking live in? Uh, whatever. That's the name if, of the show, bitch. Yeah, we got to keep that livelihood up. I, I think I've left it off the last few episodes. Uh, personally, what I used for this and what I own, I really enjoy, is the Arrow Steelbook and Vinegar Syndrome put out the best version of Don't Go in the Woods dot 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 alone dot 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 that you could ever find. I have a shitty copy of Jiller Killer because it's just not one that I'm particularly interested in. But then again, like I've kind of given up on my collecting days unless you're going to put out something really interesting that i haven't i've already listened to the commentary on driller killer on numerous times i've already i'm just i'm not interested there's a new one i like the new one but for me personally i i collect things that i love i collect things that i want to watch and and see repeatedly and something that always stirs emotion out of me is new york films and 
it's a I, I don't know if it's a genre or something that I've kind of come up with in my mind, but there is an attitude to New York City, obviously. I mean, I think anyone that lives there or knows it, there's a... Well, this is with shit like Taxi Driver. I mean, this is that era of filmmaking. I feel more mean streets than Taxi Driver, but as Ace Freely has the great song, uh, there's a New York groove. And it's it's greasy, it's dark, it's beautiful, and like you know, what you just went into that there is Mean Streets and there is Taxi Driver. Well, I think really what you meant though um, by the Ace Frehley song is not it's a New York state of mind. It's a ah, it's a New York state of mind, guys. Well, there's something else to the New York that doesn't exist anymore. There's something else to this very brutal, nasty New York that you you can live through through movies like Maniac and movies like Driller Killer. That's a great double feature on its own. You can get into this whole state of mind with Driller Killer and then watch Maniac. It's sleazy. It's dark night, man. That's a fucking depressing night of film. It's brutal, though, and I think that's some of the fear that you used to read and hear about in the newspaper. People used to have this idea and concept that you couldn't walk down a New York City street without getting raped, mugged, and your throat slashed. I mean, like every fucking Charles Bronson movie, it's just a night in Brooklyn. And Driller Killer plays off of all of that, but it plays off of it in this, like... Warhol Cantor. It's almost making fun of the people that are afraid of New York, but at the same time, the movie was dedicated to the people of New York. And that's to the Donald Trumps of the world. That's to the Rudy Giuliani's of the world. That's to the cold, awful realization that this man, this man, Rudy Giuliani, released thousands of people onto the streets that had been in psychological institutes that had been in asylums their entire fucking lives and then put them on a bus and just shipped them somewhere else with so little care for the fact that they were humans with souls and feelings. And if you don't believe in souls, the fact that they just fucking existed, that should be enough that you should be disgusted. What you're not understanding, though, is they got the M&M store in Times Square. That's important culturally to have an M&M store that was paying $65,000 a month in fucking rent to be in Times Square. I think I'd rather have the porn theaters back. Honestly, thank you very much. Bring back my porn theaters as opposed to uh, the MTV Studios and uh, Disney Store, WWF New York, and all that other garbage. Well, it's not just New York. It's everywhere. It's any town USA. It's all over the world gentrification. It is the stripping of culture, the stripping identity. One of the laughable things about Driller Killer is the anger over the fact that the rent's going up to $500 a month. Can you believe there was an era that $500 was rent? Holy shit! $500 and you're watching this movie and it's laughable. They're so angry over that. Most people in the United States can't fucking afford the fifteen to $2,000 a month rent for a shitty apartment. Well, that place in New York that they're in is probably $3,500 a month at this point. That's the hysterical thing is the band. They don't even have the problems. Like everything that you deal with when it comes to Reno and his life is not having enough money. And then Tony Coca-Cola and the Roosters decide to get the place right above them. And he laughably says to the woman behind him, pay the man. He doesn't even care about money and then has the audacity to come to Reno and ask him, well, how about 420, which is kind of funny, instead of $500 to paint me. It's all about that level. It's all about moving up in the world. And right now in American politics, the former president of the United States just doesn't want to get off that little stepping stool. I don't think he realizes the process, which... We elected a monster. What can we say? You can really compare someone like Donald Trump to Abel Ferrara's character in this movie. It's just a fucking nasty little tiny-minded evil awful person that can't come and accept the new wave. Well, yeah. Basically, the world is fucked. So that's the video nasties A through Z with Death by DVD. Where are we moving on to next? Are we off the D's? We are into the E's with another amazing movie and a movie that's not so great. So the ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. We will see you next week. Don't go out in the woods tonight. You probably will be thrilled. Don't 
go out in the woods tonight, you probably will be killed. There's a friendly beast who lurks about and likes to feast. You won't get out without being killed and chopped up in little pieces. Don't go out in the woods tonight, you probably will be thrilled. Don't go out in the woods tonight, you probably will be killed. There's a friendly beast who lurks about and likes to feast. You won't get out without being killed and chopped up in little pieces. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. Yeah. <laughs> 